Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we this morning? Good. You guys look good this morning. You feel good? Good. Even though you got those masks on, I can tell you're smiling. Tell you're glad to be here. Hey, like John mentioned, we're wrapping up the creative series this morning, and uh, I'm not going to have time to obviously recap the whole thing. It's all archived online. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, But what we've really been exploring for the last few weeks together as a community is what it looks like to be in relationship with the creative God and how that impacts how we might use and see the world around us that we are placed in. And so we've spent a lot of time kind of unpacking this thought of being a creative minority, this phrase that comes from a historian by the name of Arnold Toynbee, where he says, man, civilizations can be prolonged. Their life can be, the lifespan of a civilization can be elongated by the presence of a creative minority, of a people group who is committed to something that's beyond themselves, who seeks to bless the host culture. And we've been talking about how we as Americans sitting in here in 2020, uh, we are living in this post-Christian world. And, and what that compels us to do at times is to retreat out of the culture we're living in because it's scary and it's evil and it's bad. Um, or it's just, we know that it's not holy. It's not something we want to be a part of. And that's not the reaction that we have to have. But, but we also can't have this conformity mentality where we just go, okay, I'll just, I'll just dress like everybody else is dressing. I'll just kind of view marriage and sexuality the way that everyone else is talking about it these days. And we just blend right in with culture to the point where we're not even distinct at all. And we've talked about how we're going to walk this line of of not just seeing ourselves as like this dominant majority of people, but actually how can we exist as a minority, a smaller group of people that live in a distinct way, committed to Jesus, committed to following and chasing after him. And how how will that impact our life as we step into the culture that we're living in? Not, Not detached from it, but involved with it getting into the dark places and the hurting places and the, and the places that like is so moved on or so vacant of God's presence, how can we actually carry that into those places in the society and the world we're living in? And, and what this kind of culminated to last week was uh, this idea that, man, the gospel that's been entrusted to you and me is the best news that's ever been told. It's the best story that's ever been told. And, and yet we see so many people in churches even, like this is kind of the harder call is it's towards people in churches where the life that we have framed out around this beautiful news doesn't match the beauty and the glory and the awe and the wonder of that news itself. And so I broke that piece of bread that looked so delicious and it was delicious. Like some of y'all came up and ate some of it and it was, it was good. But we talked about how, man, am I, the, really the question that we're asking is, am I, Am I building a life with the things around me in a way that reflects how good this news is, how good the bread of life has been to me? And so that's, that's kind of where we landed things last week. But it really, even that doesn't get us all the way where we need to be. Because check it out, even as we are living our life, like let's say you're going to work and you're representing Jesus well and you're loving on people well and, and you are embracing these kind of counter-cultural values in the way that you walk, but you're not bouncing from your, your neighbor or from your coworker who's going through it right now. You're getting involved in the tough conversations. Eventually, What all of this behavior and all of this like living your life in a certain way comes to is hopefully a conversation of, man, so what do you believe? Like what is different about, like what, 
maybe it's even more simple than that. Maybe sometimes it's just, so wait, you go to church on Sunday? Wait, okay, so like I've seen a Bible. You have a Bible before. You read that? You read the Bible. And how many of you, if you're just going to be totally honest in church this morning, would you just like admit that, you know what, man, yeah, I've been in a situation where I knew I was supposed to share my faith or I felt like I could share my faith or the conversation was teed up really well for me to share my faith. And, and I punted on it. I neglected to share. Anyone? Like just raise your hand for a quick moment. Okay, so all of us, there's people who hands their hands up and there's people who are lying in church this morning, you know? <laughs> All of us have been there. We've all been in that conversation where it's like, man, I could take this right to who Jesus is and what he's done with me and and we miss it. And and I think there's so much around that that we maybe have a fear of man. Like we are living in this post-Christian world. And so the automatic assumption or the default like position that we assume somebody else has across the table from us is not Christian. We, we automatically assume they're, they're not a believer. There may be an atheist. We have these really loud population groups that aren't the majority that maybe convince us that, man, if I say something, I'm going to be labeled as intolerant. I'm going to be labeled as bigoted. And so we, we miss those conversations. And, and so I think a lot of that, that's what we've talked about the last few weeks. That how, do we, how do we really form ourselves in a way to be ready to have this conversation? But, but I, what, I, what I want to unpack and explore this morning is really how do we tell a compelling story? How do, we, how do we tell the story of what Jesus has done in us personally? Tim Keller says that creativity, he has this great quote about creativity, that it's just taking the raw materials, I think we have a slide for it, rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. So you think about things like music. What we, we just had worship up here. Music is really just the raw material of sound organized and put together in a way like a scale labeled with certain notes and then put together in a way that these ones sound pretty when they're together and these ones do not sound pretty when they're sang together. And, and we put music together, arranging the raw elements of sound into this beautiful symphony or into this beautiful melody that captures us, right? Uh, I think also like dance. There's no, like, there's no uh, reason that we would have to move in that sort of way. Like there's no primal reason that we would have to move in a way that where we dance. But, but dancing is taking the raw elements of human movement and it's putting it together in a way that expresses and captures the beauty of an individual, the beauty of a group of people that are all dancing together. Um, I, there's lots of different examples. Photography. You could say, no, like photography is necessary. We need to like validate historical accuracy with things like pictures. But most of the pictures on your phone, I see like a lot of maybe grandparents in this service right now. Like how many, like you aren't taking pictures of all your sweet grandkids to capture these, like to go, oh, well, no, they really did have brown hair when they were born. You know, sure, like what we're doing when we're taking pictures and photography becomes the raw elements of just vision and memory, but it's capturing moments so that we're drawn back to a certain time, so that we remember the joy of a season, so we remember the heartache of a season. Like we are, we are using like all these different tools of photo and video to take these raw elements of just things like seeing and how we remember, but we're crafting them when we're piecing them together in a way that creates beautiful moments and creates beautiful stories. Um, I think about economics is just the raw element of capital and resources arranged in a mark in a way that it creates a market. It creates a way for us to contribute to society and contribute to our neighbors by building something and making something. Laws are just the raw elements of human experience that are just arranged and ordered in a certain way that leads to flourishing. 
Um, education, just the raw elements of knowledge, put pieced together in a certain way, knowing that kids at this age learn about this, kids at this age learn about this, and we build out the raw elements of knowledge and arrange them into a scope and cycle so that we would uh, hopefully pass things on to the next generation so that they would learn more than we learned before them. And so what I'm trying to say, like that is what creativity is. It's taking the raw elements of the world around you and it's piecing them together in a certain way to tell a story. And, and maybe you're in here today and you don't really believe in Jesus. And if you're here and that's you, and that, I think that's awesome, that I can define for you in that way that that's what creativity is, but it doesn't answer why we are creative though. You know what I mean? It's like that is creativity music and songwriting and making art and, and, and storytelling through photos or whatever, like that is what it is, but it doesn't tell us why we do that. Like nothing else does that. And for the Christians, for the believers, for all those of us who are following after Jesus, we know, no, like we create like that because we were created. And that creative thumbprint is on us from Jesus, from the very beginning. He created us to be like him. He put his nature in us. We've, we've kind of rallied around this text in Genesis. It says God created male, female. He created them. He placed them in the garden. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so this is called by theologians, the creation mandate that from the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve and really all of humanity, this task of filling the earth and putting it under their authority, putting under dominion so that we would reflect who God is to the rest of the world. And we would bring order to chaos and we'd create and we would cultivate and we would craft different things in the world using the resources, the elements that he gave us. That's, that's what it is. And so now, as we jump into today's message, what I want to show you is that this is, this is all what we talked about in week one, is that as we are creating, the question that we have to ask ourselves is not, am I or am I not creative? Am I right-brained or am I left-brained? The question that we have to ask ourselves is really, who am I creating for? Am I using the world around me just to build up a name for myself? Or am I using the world and the elements and the things that are, I, I am immersed in? Am I using those to build a life that reflects and represents Jesus and who he is and what he's done? That's the question that we get to ask ourselves. And so now everything that we see and everything that we participate in, whether that's art or whether that's business or whether that's the way that you interact in your household, building a family, whether that's the way that you talk with your coworkers, whether that's the way that you arrange a spreadsheet, all of the world that we're living in is just different elements, different things that we are somehow trying to piece together to tell the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so now our, our, our act of worship becomes creating something that represents and reflects who he is and what he's done rather than using those things to build a name for myself. And so I get to be creative because I was made by a creative God. And in that storytelling, I think there's a couple of mistakes that we're prone to make. The first one is that we don't tell the whole story. And so I've talked about this, I think, quite a bit, maybe over the last year or so, that, that, that we have gotten really good, especially in American Christianity, at telling a two-part gospel, where it's like, and if you ask anyone just to kind of share their testimony with you, they'll likely draw on elements of, well, I was really sinful, 
I was sinful before. And then, you know, and then I was saved and now I have a relationship with Jesus. And, and in that, what we're trying to do is we're trying to articulate why we, why we follow after Jesus. Like, I love this. Uh, years ago, we took a spiritual parenting class, Katie and I. So when uh, she was pregnant with Harper, so it was about eight, nine years ago, um, this is book by Michelle Anthony that we think we have out there in the hall if you wanted to grab it sometime. But I, I, we signed up for that class expecting our first child. And I was like, okay, this is going to be great. We're going to learn how to like spiritually discipline our kids, you know, and we're going to learn how to make their behavior just perfect and how they're going to do different things, all the ways we want them to do. And you're chuckling because it's like, yeah, I've been, it's not possible, bro. But so we, I go into this class and and the whole thing is really about not so much modifying my children's behavior, but how I, as a parent, create this environment that's ripe with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can transform my kids from the inside out. Like uh, so often what we're looking for and what I'm after is behavior modification from our kids. And what God is looking for is an inward heart transformation, not this external behavior that he's measuring. And so in that class, one of the things they had us do uh, was pick a, a, a verse for your family. And so still like on our, on our headboard, I have this verse framed and it was just right for us for that season. And it's from first Peter. And um, it's, it's talking about how it's everyone's job to be able to make a defense for the faith that's in you. And so I, I wanted to back it up to verse eight, because I think it cap Peter captures some stuff that we've been talking about through the series coincidentally. Um, but Peter, like in First Peter, he's writing to exiles. So he's writing to people who are living in a land that does not rep represent or reflect their values. And he's writing to encourage them to hold fast to their faith and to not uh, succumb to false teaching. And so he, he writes it this way, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Again, he's encouraging the exile. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I just think like it's such practical encouragement, again, for us to have this different way that we live our life. How, like you just read through that list and you're like, man, how different does that feel than the world we're living in? Where we don't trade reviling for reviling. We don't trade evil for evil. We're humble and we're peace filled in our hearts. He says in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Don't, not, don't have fear of them, nor be troubled. This is where I want you to kind of focus. Verse 15, this is the one that I think is important for all of us to hear. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We'll keep going. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. In that verse, it says, always be ready to have like a sound defense for the reason that you have hope in you. 
It doesn't, it does not say, so your pastor should be ready to explain to your friends why there's a reason like that there's hope in you. Doesn't mean that the people who work at the church, it doesn't mean the children's minister. It doesn't like all of us need to carry this. Like I have this, I have this thing inside me that I have a reason why I have hope. And, and can you practice or have you practiced just articulating the hope that's in you? And even when I sit down in small groups and I'd listen to different people share their testimony, we, we miss part of the story. Like we go, man, you know what? I was just sinful and I was broken and I was hurting and then God saved me and now he loves me and I'm in a relationship with him. And, and that's true. Amen? Like that's, that is a true part of the story. Hopefully that is part of your testimony is that you are aware that you were sinful and you turn to Jesus and you are in relationship with him. Amen. I, like that is true. It's just not the whole story. There, there is a part that comes before the fall. There is this part, Genesis 1, that we've been looking at where God created everything and it was perfect. And from that perfection where we were given this task to go into the world, to cultivate the earth and subdue it, to put it into order, to create and to make and to put our hands into the ground and to work it, then the fall happened. And so that's why there's part of us that recognizes when bad things are happening, when evil things are going on, we recognize that something's off because our heart longs to be back in the garden. Because our story didn't start with sin. Our story started with creation. So there's creation, then there's the fall, then yes, there is redemption where Jesus came and he lived this perfect blemish-free life so that when he went to the cross, he went as a perfect, innocent, blameless sacrifice in our place. And because he stepped to the cross in that kind of way, he was able to impute, to give to us his perfect righteousness so that when we acknowledge him with faith, that righteousness that he wore now belongs to you and me. And that's where we often will stop telling the story. But the story continues. The fourth chapter of the story is called Renewal, where God has now ushered in this age where he's brought his kingdom to the earth. And it's not here in its finality yet. Amen? Like we're still waiting for things to be made perfect finally and forevermore. But it has begun. We're sitting in this age now where we get to participate in the renewal of the world that we're sitting in. And so if we miss that part of the story, what happens is, is our gospel that we're telling to people, the good news that we're sharing becomes this kind of happy-go-lucky, clap your hands, fake feeling gospel that says, oh, I was sinful and now I'm saved and everything's awesome. And people around you go, what are you, what world are you living in? This world is not awesome. But when we understand the fourth chapter of the gospel called Renewal, it invites us to participate in the hurting and the broken and the weary parts of this earth. And we get to step in and we get to say, there is hope for something to come. Like you can experience it now. You can taste a portion of it now. And then, and then one day we'll get to see it and it will be perfect forever and ever. Amen. Mike Metzger is this pastor and he has this quote about the four parts of the gospel. He says, for 2000 years, the gospel was recited in four chapters titled creation, fall, redemption, and the final restoration, renewal. You can call that consummation where, where God puts all things right for the rest of time in the end time. So he has this four part gospel and it reminds us that we are made in the image of God. This gospel started in Genesis one and can be found in the apostles and the Nicene Creed. Tragically, 200 years ago, the story was edited to two chapters, the fall and redemption. 
the opening chapter of creation was largely forgotten. He goes on to say, this new starting line was Genesis 3 rather than Genesis 1. And it reminds people that they are fallen sinners, but we're both. We're both fallen sinners and made in God's image. Yet the two-chapter gospel accentuates our wounds and the four-chapter gospel reminds us of our dignity. So talk a lot about this idea of purpose or this idea of like, what am I here to do? That dignity is given to you in Genesis 1 and it's brought back to you in this chapter called Renewal. Where it's like, what is my mission now? My mission is to partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom to this earth. When Jesus, after he's ascended, he gives us the great commission. And the great commission, I want to show it to you because it's just a new iteration of the cultural mandate given in Genesis 1. So in Matthew, it's written this way. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, fill the earth, Multiply, fill up the earth, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teach them to obey my commands. It's dominion. Go and, and, and increase. Go see to it that God's rule would pervade the earth that we're living in. The Great Commission becomes now our renewed version after the fall of the creation mandate, where now we get to see people as God's primary way of impacting the world that we're living in. That we get to go out and we get to influence and we get to preach the gospel. We get to share the good news with people and we get to invite them into this story that God is telling. But the first tendency that we have to mess this up is we don't tell the full story. So we just, we just, we emphasize sin and redemption. We forget the part that God is currently in the business of renewing and healing and restoring all things. The second mistake that we can make is we tell the story from somebody else's perspective. So like, I think the tendency in church circles is that we get so good at learning the answers from pastors or from YouTube videos or whatever that we, that we hear the answers we know how we should say things. We know what the story is, yet we are missing it personally. And so we tell the story from another person's perspective. Uh, recently, it was 9-11, right? Just about a month ago. And my kids are just now getting to the age where they're starting to ask questions about what 9-11 is because they're learning about it as a historical event. And I was like, no, no, no. It's not just some story out of a textbook. Like I remember that morning. And I start to tell them the story. My perspective is different. I watched that second plane on the television run into that tower. I remember my mom calling in this panic. I remember telling my dad, trying to articulate to him, this is to kind of lighten it for a sec. I remember going to my dad and I was like, mom just called something about a train crashed into the World Plane Center. <laughs> that was the best I had. I, you know, I was, I can't remember how old I was when that happened, but you know, I'm 11, 12 years old, right? And I didn't know, I didn't understand. And think about how just as much as my perspective is different, if they go on to tell that story, their perspective is going to be out of a textbook. Mine's going to be from personal experience. But even my personal experience, imagine how much different my story of 9-11 is going to be from one of, the, one of the firefighters, one of the men and women who were in New York City on that day. And they could tell you about the sights and they could tell you about the sound and they could tell you about the smell. They could tell you about the fear. They could tell you about what the emotions were in that moment. And I think we have so many Christians who are willing to tell the, tell the story from another person's perspective. That, that it's not 
so much, all of us that are saying, no, listen, I've tasted and seen. Your coworker that you're inviting to church does not need to hear the gospel from me. They need to see the gospel in you. They need to hear it from your lips before they hear it from mine. Because what we're looking for, what the world is aching for, is to see people who have actually been touched by the Savior, who have actually been brought back to life and transformed by who he is and what he's done in you. It's not just my job to tell everyone about the good news. It's our job collectively as the church to embody it wherever we go. And so, like, we cannot just be this echo chamber of the gospel of what other people are preaching about the gospel. We have to be a people who are deeply and intimately connected through relationship with Jesus. And and so my encouragement would be, I think, even in the next week or so, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning, maybe you don't get a lot of alone time. Maybe you need to like wake up before your kids this week. But I would encourage you to just get in your car, take a long lunch break, get away from people for a little bit and just get alone with Jesus and go, God, what is the story that you've been writing in my life? Have I been neglecting it? Do I remember it well? Like, like, can you sit down and can you articulate the testimony that God's brought you through in your life? I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves because again, it's not just my job to make a sound defense of the faith on Sunday mornings. All of us are called and commissioned to be able to tell the story from personal firsthand experience of what God has done in our own lives. And so, like, I would just encourage you, get, get in a space. Get somewhere where you can just sit down and go, God, would you just take me back? God, just walk me through it. But what, what is it that you've done in my heart? What is it that you've done in my life? So that when you go to tell your coworker about Jesus, when you go to tell the compelling story, it's not just, hey, come to my church. This guy's funny. It's, go, it's no, I, like, listen, God has brought me through it. And I'm sure that he'll be faithful to bring you through it too. And so we can make these mistakes where we don't tell the full story or we tell it from somebody else's perspective. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think he articulates this really well where he says, starting verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hallelujah. Like I might not be perfect, but there is, there is new life that has been born inside of me. There is new life that is cracked through that which was dead. I have newness, I have new life, a new creation in me now. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus came down. It was his initiating love towards us that sent him out of the heavens onto the earth so that he would die in our place. And he, he grabbed us in this relationship and he paid the price for our sin. He put the money down to reconcile us back to God so that we could have relationship with him. And in that, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, pay attention to this word, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador but somebody who lives in a foreign land representing the values of where they actually belong? As I'm living in a country that I do not belong to, that is not my own, I'm representing and reflecting and honoring my nation, my kingdom's values while I'm living in this foreign land as someone in exile, 
maybe. That I'm living, I'm making, um, sorry, I lost my spot. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know why I lost my spot, because ambassadors is split on my Bible. So it's like amb and then acidors, and you still look for the word that way. <laughs> Can we laugh a little bit on church Sunday morning? We good? Praise the Lord. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal to the world through who? Your pastor? No. The people who work at your church? No. All of us, all of us now creating and putting this life together in a way that becomes an instrument or this blank canvas to tell the story of what Jesus has done, how he's reconciled us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? And so, really like what I'd like to bring this to is, is um, hopefully in this series, like something has stood out to you. Hopefully something's grabbed you. And you maybe realized through this last few weeks that we've been walking through this together, like, oh man, you know what? I think I've been actually building my life up for uh, the attention of myself, to build up my own comfort, to build up my own security. I wasn't seeing my life as something that I'm creating and building to be an instrument for God's glory wherever he would place me. Maybe some of the things that convicted you or got to you this series was the fact that, oh my gosh, like I, I have been blending in too much with culture. Like I'm, I'm starting to just act like everyone else around me. I'm starting to use language like everyone else around me. I'm starting to dress like everyone else around me. Like I'm just starting to do whatever it is that culture is doing and I don't stand out. Maybe that was your conviction. Maybe your conviction was like, oh my gosh, I've just been seeing my job is to wrap up all of my friends and all my family in this protective bubble so that culture can't see them. I'm going to hide them and stow us away from culture so that we, we, we stay safe and we stay as holy as possible. Maybe during this series, you're like, no, okay, wait, our job is to be built up, but then also to be released into the world. Not to bend down, not to be conformed, but so that we would walk in this way where we're just committed to Jesus. Maybe, maybe in this season you were just like, man, I don't know if my commitment to Jesus was there. Like I just need to, I just need to recommit, rededicate, re-engage that gear so that I'm just going all out for the Lord. Maybe there are practices that you were missing that you need to build back up in your life so that you stand strong. I don't know what it is that spoke to you in this series, but what I'm trying to tell us today, what I'm trying to invite us into today is we all need to be aware of the compelling story that God's writing in each one of our hearts in this room. This church has to be not just a place where the gospel is preached, but where the gospel is seen in every single one of us. And so like, I wanna invite you right now, like we have, we have a lot of different areas on our serve team to get involved and get into, plugged into different places of this church. But before like I start to accidentally communicate to you that that is how you will now live out your, your role in renewing the culture around you, that's not what that is. That would be contrary to everything that we've talked about in this series. Like your job is to be where you are, where God has placed you in work to go and to bring the kingdom into that space. But my invitation to the serve team is kind of twofold. First of all, like since COVID, it's been a little unique and not everyone has jumped right back into where they were serving before. And so we need people to serve coffee. We need people to welcome people into the building. We need people to help out in the next gen areas, to take care of preschoolers, to take care of elementary schoolers, to get on the tech team, to get on the worship team. But my second fold plea with you is like, you have to understand joining that team more than it is just this like moral obligation where I want you to feel bad if you don't do it. More than that, what serving in this house means to us is you get to be somebody 
who's filled up and so impacted by what Jesus is doing personally in your life, that as you hand that person a cup of coffee, you're not just handing them their dose of caffeine for the morning, but you're giving them a chance to meet someone who's been impacted by Jesus. And so every single one of us, whether you're leading out in, in the elementary room, whether you're singing from stage, we, what we want to be is we want to be a people who are so just, just bent on, oh my gosh, Jesus and so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a space where that story can be seen, where that story can be heard, where that story can be demonstrated to one of the elementary schoolers that walk in here. So that the preschoolers who are getting babysat in one of those rooms and they're getting taken care of during service, they're not just seeing someone who's giving them childcare. They're actually being ministered to by somebody who's been impacted by what God's done in their life and the transformation that he's given to them. That's the dream. That's the goal. That's our hope in the serve team is none of us are leading out of this place of where we're just like, well, I guess I just have to. Now there's a real side to like, we have to have some people in some places. Like y'all, like some of you coffee drinkers, y'all want to have coffee in the morning. Amen. So part of, part of being a part of the family is you have a role in the house. Just asking that part of what our family value is going to be is we are people who are experiencing a relationship with Jesus, not as some echo chamber for what we've heard in church for a long time, but deeply, intimately, personally, we're aware of what Jesus has done for us. The other thing that I want to just invite you to is that we are, we are putting together a creative team. And so what I mean by that is Steph, Steph Hewittson for a long time has just ran all the creative stuff here in the church. And she's been called an administrative assistant for years now. And we just said this year, we're like, John and I were talking about, it, we're like, look, that's not, that's not what she is. That's not really what happens. She's a creative director. And so we've re like labeled some things organizationally, but now what that needs is it needs some people to get around her. So she's not being creative alone. Like every, everything that you see in here that is just like awesome, all the videos you watch, all the different artwork that's put up in different places, she makes. But like being creative alone is not how, not how it's meant to be. And so I'm just inviting for all of you who are maybe the, the classic creatives when we think about it. And you, you have a passion for photography. You have a passion for storytelling. You know actually how to do video. You want to, you want to learn more about editing video. And you want to get involved with capturing these moments. Because what we would long to see is not this creative department that's like super cool. I was just like, man, their Instagram account's dope. Like, that's, that's incredible. It's not primarily what we're after. What we're after is a creative team who can help tell the stories of what Jesus is doing in this house. That's what it's about. It's about capturing moments. It's about telling stories. And so, like, if you just want to get involved in the serve team somewhere, you're, you're like out in yourself right now. You're like, I am not the creative person. You don't want me taking pictures of nothing. I promise you but you still want to do something. You want to be involved. You want to get more connected to the church. Reach out to Robin. Robin's helping coordinate and direct some of the serve team from a high level of getting people in the right places. So reach out to Robin. Her email's on gschurch.info, robinp at gschurch.tv. You could also, if you want to be involved in some of this creative team, we don't have all the details yet. We don't know what it's all going to look like yet, but if there's something in you right now that's like, man, that's me. Uh, like, I want to help this church be more creative in the more classic, stereotypical creativity kind of way. So that, again, not that we can be the coolest church. That's not our aim. Our aim is to be able to, like, unpack and mine out what stories are here. Uh, it's Michelangelo, I think, his quote with the statue of David, where he says he was in there all along. I just had to chisel him out. Like, that's what we're after. 
just mining out what's already here. There's like there are stories in these seats right now that the world needs to hear. And so reach out to Steph if you want to be part of the creative team. My, my hope overall in this series is that, that you have something that you can take and you can apply to your life. We're going to shift gears next week and we're going to go into the You Asked For It series. And so if you haven't been around when we've done that series before, I know a lot of you are new, but you can submit a question online about the Bible, about your faith, about how to interact with the world around you that you like, feel like we should talk about or you've been wondering for a long time. And it's all anonymous. All right. So it's like, man, I really shouldn't be asking this question. I've been in church for 30 years, you know, like I should know. Nobody's going to know it was you. Just submit the question, submit. Like we'd love to have a really practical series, but my hope before we just jump into that. So again, I don't think I said this, but gschurch.info, you can find the You Asked For It series. You can fill out a question there. Okay. You can do it right now. If you wanted to, you can pull your phone out in church if you want to right now. I'm giving you permission. All right. But my hope is that before we move on to anything else, that you would see that you are so much more than, than just this saved person who's in love with Jesus. Because if that's all it was, if it was just about your salvation, as soon as you gave your life to him, you'd be bounced out of here. He'd just, he'd just take you right up to heaven, start glory. But that's not our story. Like you're here. You're here for a reason. You're here to be involved in the earth that we're living in, but we have to do it in a distinct way. We have to do it in a way that carries and embodies his love, his personality, who he is, his character, his hope, his love, his joy into the culture that we find ourselves in. And so whatever it was that jumped out to this series, let that be something that you focus on in this coming season. And let's continue to build up these, build ourselves up in a certain way where we continue to make our, make our spirit strong in the inside of us so that we might not give in to the flesh Monday through Friday, but we might actually just carry ourselves in this way where we looked, we look distinct to the world around us. And we, we put off an aroma, a pleasant aroma to the world around us that says, man, taste and see what the Lord has done in my life. And we got to want it for the world out there. Amen. Would you stand? I'd love to pray for you. Well, Jesus, we uh, come before you knowing this is no small ask. Um, to live this way, to have this mentality takes an immense amount of patience. It takes an immense amount of uh, being just long suffering with the world around us. And Lord, I pray for each individual in this room, um, for each heart that is sitting here today, that we would have mercy and that we'd have grace for the world that we're living in. That the world largely around us does not look like you, does not embody or embrace your values or who you are. But Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't hold them to an expectation to love you without a relationship with you. So give us sympathy, give us empathy for the world around us. Help us be compelled and convicted to go into the spaces that you're calling us to go to and to bring your kingdom, to bring your gospel, the full story into all the spaces that we find ourselves in. I think about just looking around the room right now, all the different areas of work, all the different schools, all the different spots that this church is planted in, in this city. God, and I pray that we would be kingdom bearers in all of those spaces, that we would see ourselves on mission, not on accident. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.